0: Hi, uh, welcome to We've Been Had, a song-by-song walk through the songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Pilly.
1: And I'm Chad Cook.
0: And uh, yeah, like I said, we are going to be walking through the entire Uncle Tupelo canon um, eventually. Tonight we'll be hitting the first three songs on No Depression. That's uh, Graveyard Shift, That Year, and Before I Break, which is...
1: Keith doesn't know this, we're actually going to be singing the songs, so, so it'll be like a, a a duet of all the early Uncle Tupelo stuff.
0: I call the Tweety parts. <laughs> Damn. Well, I thought a good way to get started here and just lay some groundwork would be to talk about how, you know, our paths in, I guess, um, you know, kind of lay our cards on the table. So, Chad, how did you get started on the Tupelo train? So,
1: I'm going to warn you in advance, this is the worst story ever, but... Um, I received in the mail when I was in college <laughs> one of those like promotional CDs with like buzz bands. Okay. And for whatever freaking reason, uh the one of the buzz bands was Sunvolt that year.
0: Okay. I got and Drown was the yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I got that same thing.
1: Yeah. And so like that was my entry point. Okay. Like the one time direct mail has ever worked on me, I think. But
0: same though. Like I cherished that cd because like hey i've got this great song i've heard you know like
1: yeah i mean the rest of the other 15 tracks were dog shit but you know that that one was really hit me and so that was kind of my my backwards path in sure. it was starting with sunbolt which i mean when i think back of it Trace had probably just come out yeah i mean it couldn't have within six months or eight months of that cd um then that led me to Wilco and then Uncle Tupelo so uh i guess exactly 180 degrees <laughs> opposite than the chronological order of the uh, operation
0: well that's kind of the beauty of it though like i'm just really struck how different it used to be pre-internet of you know the the path to finding a band like it was always this weird backwards happenstance thing
1: what did you look at uh, on the gumbo pages where I think we both pulled the lyrics? did you see they still have the like the link up for that postcard
0: yes. site yeah,
1: so which I mean it probably sounds stupid to anyone born after like I don't know nineteen eighty but like it was a service where like not really a service but it was a message board where mm-hmm. like you would you would acquire bootleg tapes yeah. of Uncle Tupelo shows or Sunvolt shows.
0: Yeah. This like actual functioning online community where people didn't call each other cucks. And
1: yeah. And nobody's, nobody said you're an idiot. Why? <laughs> oh, you are
0: not, not until the Sunvolt Wilco then There was probably a ton of that. Uh, well, so I actually like, like my way in is pretty cool. I think, um, And it's a very, like, pre-internet thing where, like, so I was introduced to Uncle Tupelo by our friend Grant, who I went to high school with. Grant heard about Uncle Tupelo from another friend of ours from high school named Joe, who had a brother who went to school in St. Louis. Um, And I think Joe's brother's name was Charlie. Charlie. And Charlie had heard of uncle Tupelo because he worked on the campus radio station and had interviewed them and was like, Oh, these guys are cool. Um, yeah, you know, that's so like, cool. I just, I love that. There's like this direct chain back to,
1: that's so much cooler than getting a CD in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh. so, I mean, that's kind of interesting though. Like you, uh, and I know Mark Marin always talks about having the cool older brother or like the, the person that tunes you into the, like it, the, the good stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so I guess, you know, like, in a way, Grant's friend's brother is your, like, cool older brother.
0: This very, very distant thing. You know, usually that role for me was filled by my young uncle, who's, like, five years older than me, who was just always get, trying to get me to listen to The Doors. So, like, <laughs> this alternate system worked a lot better. And, oh, and, and Sting. Sting Solo. They're very cool.
1: It's interesting. One band that's bass heavy and one band with no bass at all.
0: <laughs> it adds up.
1: It's a zero-sum
0: game exactly. for a while, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's optimizing there, but he's optimizing something. Uh, well, should we do this? Yeah, let do it. we jump in? Song one, Graveyard Shift. Um... So this is track 1 of No Depression. No Depression came out in June of 1990. I really think like to understand what's going on here, you know, it, you got to put yourself back into the mind what it was like in 1990. You know, I mean like I think we were both probably a little peripheral to the the indie scene then, but you know, I can just I can remember what music was like then and
1: Yeah, I mean I want to say it was like, you know, like the big bands were like Warrant and you know like sort of not quite glam metal, but sort of that like overproduced uh, metal sound and then like really poppy top 40 stuff.
0: Yeah. And like even in the alternative world, you know what? You'd, REM would have been kind of pivoting into their weird, really popular phase. And I think the replacements were still together on paper, but you know, just on paper. Uh, you know, I. I guess nobody was doing anything like this then.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really interesting because I, I dug up a, a couple of interviews uh, from that era, most of which can be found on the Gumbo pages. Gumbo as well. pages,
0: it's, it's a, a great website, some
1: amazing repository of information.
0: Makes me so happy that that's still there. Uh, but but I was struck
1: by one of I think Jay Farrar's comments that he said that he he views that music as a continuum. Uh, based on listening to bands like the Birds and the Burrito Brothers, and I, I was thinking about it. And I, I don't know if I, I mean, maybe that's what they were trying to do. I don't yeah. know if I get
0: that. I agree. I mean, I feel like that's a place they got to later, but not here.
1: Yeah, like Anodyne. I think you could say that's that's kind of where that
0: sweet spot is. Yeah.
1: I mean, this almost seems like it's more influenced by.
0: Punk bands, uh, I, I think you know, this, hardcore I, music. Totally. I, I that's I was thinking about this then, like that structurally, this is just '80s hardcore music all the way. You know, like Graveyard Shift is this weird thing where it's built around a riff, and it's then it's like this weird Frankenstein song with like just sections bolted onto each other and like these jarring time shifts, and that that's this super '80s, you know, that's '80s hardcore all over. It's like, hey, we know how to play. Check us out. We know how to play. Do you
1: do you get the sense that they when they wrote this song, they were like Jeff Tweedy's like, hey, I've got a cool bass line that I want to play. And Jay Ferrer's like, I've got a guitar part that I want to play. Let's build a song around this.
0: It feels like that. And I think there was that. I also think this had always been in the back of my mind, but it crystallized when I sat down and listened. I think Mike Hydorn, you know, is crucial to the band. And I think he is really into the dramatic stop and startup like you know, like that's just, that seems to be his bread and butter as a drummer. Um, you know, and then it goes away when they get rid of him and comes back on the first Sunvolt album. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, he's like, if you want to do like straightforward Americana rock, like Mike Heidorn is your, your man. He is the guy. He, he is just a boss at that. He is, uh, he's really impressive. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, it's interesting because I've, I was as we're going through this process, you know, it makes sense to go chronologically, but I th- think this might be the f- the last Uncle Tupelo record that I bought.
0: Yeah, I think it might be the same for me. Cuz
1: I think I bought Anodyne first.
0: It would make sense because that's what would have been probably the most recommended and that's you know, for sure, I mean if you were coming in through Sunvolt, that would have sounded the closest to that.
1: Yeah, it's just uh it's it's interesting to to think about, like just essentially these kids making this like hybrid of country and garage band music.
0: Yeah, and I mean the the kids side of it really freaks me out. Like I knew they were young when they made this, but I I didn't realize how young like they really were. They were just babies, you know. They, I don't know. It's just it's astonishing. Like, you can really hear it. I I think, and you know, maybe we'll get into this more later, but like one of the subplots just going through the entire Uncle Tupelo catalog to me is listening to Jeff Tweedy first figure out how to sing and then figure out how to, you know, just kind of take this more central creative role. And like, you know, like this, on this album, he just sounds so young and unformed. It's just amazing.
1: Also probably fewer cigarettes have have transported through his lungs at this point. (laughs) Very true. Is, you know, I think some of that later sound is is helped by the by smoking.
0: I think you're right. Uh, so one thing I thought was pretty surprising. I guess I this is another thing that I knew maybe, but it wasn't front of my mind. Uh, Graveyard Shift and the rest of No Depression was produced by Sean Slade and Paul Coldery who had previously done some Dinosaur Junior albums, which makes a lot of sense
1: yeah if you like, if that's the kind of hardcore hardcore production i uh i have heard tweety on and off say that one of his digs on the early uncle duplo album is that they albums is that they sound too much like dinosaur jr albums so maybe that's maybe that's what he's
0: referring yeah, to I mean, that, the, that that comes like <laughs> If you don't know that about the producers, that just sounds like, okay, he's evaluating. But if you do know that, that that's kind of a barbed F.U. to those guys. Yeah, kids. right. It's a pretty
1: specific insult.
0: Yeah. Well, another thing that just kicks that I love about the song is the way it just... It comes out and lays out the whole Uncle Tupelo project for you just right out of the gate. You know, like, we are going to... Kick your ass with these like big coordinated chops that are, you know, really tightly rehearsed. So we're off on, off on. We've got this big riff. Uh, we're here to complain about small towns and work and, you know, kick some ass in the project, in the process.
1: Yeah. it's it, As i as I was going through and reading the lyrics, I like this. Uh, Will a man in a tile bum your dime before he breaks his $20 bill? That's
0: a great, that is a great set of lines. Yeah.
1: And it's like it kind of hits the like the the ethos of the whole early Uncle Tupelo catalog, right? It's like it's like this is the man and the man's shitty.
0: Yeah, they they have these like very very defined things they keep coming back to that like working sucks and capitalism sucks, Um, living in a small town sucks, and if you drink a lot, that makes it better. And like you know, those are the three pillars of early Uncle Tupelo.
1: I think, I think, you know, contextually where they're from in, in Illinois is really close to St. Louis and really close to closer to East St. Louis. So, I mean, I I imagine when you're growing up there, you see firsthand kind of what the dark side of capitalism looks like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, the town I lived in in Nebraska was pretty well to do when I lived there. Um, but then my senior year of high school, my parents moved to this tiny ass town in northern Missouri. Um, and I don't know, it's just it's hard to unless you've been there, it's hard to express just how hopeless it feels like to be in these small towns in the Midwest where there's just there's nothing and there's not going to be anything. I don't think I, I don't know that that's exactly what Ferrar and Tweedy were growing up in in Belleville, but it's definitely something they had to be exposed to.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just I mean, and I, in the interest of you know full disclosure, I grew up in small town in a small town in Iowa, but there was a university there, so it's a little different experience. Fancy, yes, I've, I'm a royal. <laughs> uh, but I feel like just driving through the driving through the Midwest, like you kind of get that yeah that feeling of hopelessness. It's really, it's honestly, it's one of the reasons I've always liked that Bruce Springsteen Nebraska cover. Yeah. Because that I think that photo sort of does a good job of of capturing or just sort of the the open space and the the just what it you know kind of the bleakness
0: yeah well and I, I think that's part of why this album and this band had such an impact that uh nobody else was you know except for Springsteen with one album uh, you know there wasn't a lot of music then that really seemed to acknowledge like this is what it's like to live in the least glamorous parts of the middle of the country. And, you know, I guess like it's powerful to feel like someone's giving your world a voice.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, the the other thing is it's, it's more accessible, at least for me, it was more accessible than, than the country music that was being recorded at the time.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Because it's got the, it's got the big guitars and it's got that as, as that kind of coordinated, but we're going to lock on and then we're going to pause and lock on and yeah. in step.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. So uh, I mean this is hopping back a little bit. You talked about that. You you, you said you felt like, you know, Tweedy came in and like, I've got this great bass part and and would have been like, I've got this great guitar part. Does this feel to you like it's actually like m- musically it's like three songs bolted together? You know, I mean like so you've got the gumbo pages uh guitar You've got the tabs up. Just take a look at just how many different parts this thing has. You know, you've got so you've got your opening rift, you've got your DG hometown same town blues part. Then there are just there's all these little like very short described modules that plug in. Where it's like um, I don't know. It's just I it feels like it wanders through at least two and maybe three keys.
1: I'm sure if you're if you're talking about two 19-year-olds and a 20-year-old recording music, it's it, there's there's got to be at least some of it that's like let's get together and just frankenstein this thing together.
0: Yeah. Well, it feels like it was like a showpiece. You know, because I mean like that's I I consider and say like it feels like it's made of spare parts, but this song kicks ass. Like it you know, it's such just a like, hey, we are here and we are a band. And like, whatever they had to do to get there, like, this is such a great way to kick off that opening album because you're like, holy shit, these guys are for real.
1: I mean, maybe that's a function of, of being new and wanting to to put your best foot forward. So yeah. you, you put a, I mean, I, I've i kind of poo-pooed it with the, the bass part on the guitar solo, but it's an awesome bass part and an awesome guitar solo. Yeah. So it's, it's not like you're, you know, you're mashing together trash. You're, yeah, or you're you're putting together two really cool things.
0: You know, like if you listen to the Johnny Cash song "One Piece at a Time," the the car he builds, you know, stealing parts, like it sounds like a pretty cool car. It, <laughs> it, it
1: does sound like a cool car.
0: Uh, you know, I think that's what's going on here. On that note, like looking forward, I think, I think one thing Uncle Tupelo always did really well, like on on all four albums, I think they were really smart about sequencing. I, I I think No Depression kicks off with probably the best song on the album. Maybe not. Still Feel Gone definitely starts out with the best song on the album. Uh, you know, and then they get older, and like it's not they don't have to kick your ass up front. So they, they you know the the second to all or the the third and fourth album have these great like slow builds. Um, they just they sequenced really well. I, wonder,
1: I, I mean, I don't know if this is accurate. This is just me spitballing, but. I wonder if uh, if that comes from like playing live a lot and you wanna you don't want the audience to sort of tune out so you put a real ass kicker up front to kind of hook in their attention.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, I mean that had to have been how they felt out in order. I can't remember what my source is for this, but I remember reading somewhere, I think it was Hydorn saying that no depression... You know, as an album is basically just one of their shows with a few overdubs, and and so, you know, I, I think that's you know that feeds right into what you were saying.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's it's kind of cool because it's all the stories that you read from that era is essentially just them driving around in a van, yeah, and, and trying to make ends meet,
0: yeah. Which, when you put it that way, makes it sound like some kind of like Minutemen cosplay, which it might have been.
1: That's true. That's that. I do not think we can discount that. There is a song called D. Boone" on yeah, the next album.
0: exactly. So, if that clearly
1: was, they've heard of the Minutemen,
0: it was probably a conscious thing. Like, well, of course we got to We got to drive a van. We got to. We got a Kano. I don't know. Like I, I feel like Graveyard Shift should be a song that I have more to say about, but I.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've just, I, whenever I think about their age, I'm just kind of blown away by some of the lyrics that they, that they pull. Yeah. They pull on this. It's, uh, you know, I like the, you know, I, I like the reference to the powers that be, um, you know, because I, I don't know, for whatever reason, as a 22 year old, when I was listening to this, I'm like, yeah, powers that be screw the powers that be. Yeah. You know, even though I, you know, I, I'm going going to school to get an undergraduate degree in finance, which is like the worst possible (laughs) way to screw the powers that be right. Like screw them from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's your only angle.
0: You're going to finance the revolution. No, I think, I mean, one thing that really hits me, like I, I never, at least until you get to Anodyne, there aren't a lot of songs where I think like top to bottom, like this as one combined thing really has a lot to say, you know, like I don't think they're good at that. But it's just nuts how good Jay Ferrar is at writing like individual lines or couplets that, that jump out. It doesn't always hang together into something great, but my God, this guy can write two lines that just grab you.
1: Yeah, he's a he's he's kind of a musical savant. I mean he also he also just hauls on the guitar. Yeah. Which is kind of weird when you're you know, if you're that good at guitar, you think you would go down a path of you know, being like Joe Satriani or one of those guys who just plays ridiculous guitar riffs. <laughs>
0: There's an alternate universe where Jay Farrar is just like the slinger for hire.
1: Yeah, but uh, I mean, more props to him. He's yeah. he he definitely found his niche. He's, he's a great writer and, a, and an unbelievable guitar player.
0: Yeah. So one, th- I always think it's weird. You know, if you read up on the history of the band, they talk about like. This incarnation of the band evolved out of this previous thing that was uh Ferrara's pr- brother's Wade and Dade and I, you know which
1: that, okay, is, first, that is glorious yeah, first of all I, Wade and Dade and Jay <laughs>
0: That's that's fantastic on its own but I just, I wonder what did that sound like like what was
1: Well I mean if the if the voices are genetic it's like it's kind of a a low threesome of uh yeah. of voices an
0: oakridge voice yeah. type thing. <laughs> i uh,
1: i really hope we're able to do some research and find out what wade and date are up to these yeah,
0: days I, we need to make that a goal for sure uh well should we uh call it on graveyard Shift yeah, let's and take a break it. all right next song will be track two that year the uh lead singing debut of mr jeffrey tweedy um what do you think of that year chad well so uh,
1: uh well first i should say that the uh guitar tab that i have was uh was transcribed by sean winnie which i have de- <laughs> i have deduced based on his email address was a McAllister student Oh yeah. Uh, so you know if you're still living the Twin Cities, Sean, thanks uh, thanks for putting this together. <laughs> I deduce that because his email is swinnie at macalister.edu. Yeah,
0: so he must have been an early adopter on their email system. Yeah,
1: so I, I guess and I this I have sort of a controversial opinion about this song, listening to it. I I actually wonder if it would be a better song without the cowpunk element.
0: Maybe. It's kind of over it's it's a little overboard, I think. Like when the alternating bass kicks in, it's like it—it it sounds a little clownish. It just—it
1: just doesn't seem to really go with the song either, yeah. to me.
0: I love that you brought that up because that's that's actually that's a thing I wanted to talk about here. Is I wanted to ask you if you thought that worked, and I guess now, now I know.
1: It just is. It just doesn't seem to fit with it. It's it's again like. I'm I'm gonna throw this kick, this kick-ass bass part. I'm gonna make it a kick-ass country bass part. Yeah, I. Uh, It just is, and and it's the interesting thing is it's a it's a good song. Like I think I think it would work either way. I just it's kind of a it's kind of a strange thing to think about because that's Mm. it's kind of how you think of the early Uncle Tupelo stuff is that that kind of cowpunky style.
0: No man, I am I. I'm a thousand percent with you on this. I I mean, I, to the point where I was. So when I was listening through, I, I started thinking, where does this idea, you know, it, so with both of us, we came to the band after they were a known thing. It was kind of handed to us as received wisdom that like, well, Uncle Tupelo is this country punk band. But going through and listening from the start forward, I, I was trying to figure out like, well, if you if someone hadn't told you this was country punk. Like, would you have come up with that on your own? Like, what are the signifiers that make this country punk? And, and what I came down on, you know, like, like Graveyard Shift, I think you, there's barely anything there. there there's basically like the tenor of Jay Ferrar's voice there. Uh, with that year, it, it's got a little more where it's got that bouncing, alternating bass part. And uh, you know, sometimes it breaks into this like two step drum part that's like, you know, that's kind of country. But it really, fe- yeah, like it, you're right. Like it feels like they're like tacking that stuff on, out of this. Like, no, guys, we got to make it country. We're not, we're not Black Flag.
1: Thank God. <laughs> listen to listen to episode one if you want <laughs> to. I'm going to try to take a shot at Black Flag in every episode <laughs> if possible. I, my my long term goal. <laughs> this en- this ends with a with Henry Rowland showing up my fa- at my front door and wanting to fight
0: me. That's what I'm laughing. at. <laughs> Yes: <laughs> um, Yeah, but no, uh, uh, I mean, do you think that makes sense that like there' just there's <sighs> I mean
1: maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's an age thing where they were they were really into some kind of punk and hardcore and then somehow discovered country and were still trying to figure out how to fuse the two together, yeah, and so it, it feels like you're you're not getting a, a finished product. I mean, I think when you by the time you get to Anodyne, for sure, and maybe the March album, you know, you really feel like it could be. You could classify this as a as you can tell, it's really a, a country influenced album. Yeah. yeah, the first two albums, I don't, I don't know. It's it's debatable.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like a mixture that's not. You know, there's still un- unmixed clumps in it. You know, I I guess I think like the other big signifier is their. Uh, their accents which is a weird thing because like that wouldn't always be you know like My Morning Jacket like that guy has I can't remember his name whoever the My Morning Jacket guy is
1: um, Jim James? Yeah
0: like he has a very similar accent but no one would really call them I don't know maybe we don't care about boundaries as much anymore maybe I'm just talking out of my ass.
1: Yeah I mean I I feel like My Morning Jacket is even more dinosaur junior-y. Yeah. Uh, country-inspired music than than even Uncle Tupelo.
0: You know, I I think, do you know when um, Social Distortion's version of... Ring of Fire? Yeah, like when did that come out?
1: I I don't know when that came out. It feels
0: like that would have been at least close to this. You know, just just trying to think of like uh, other people trying to merge country and punk at the time. Let me look. Uh, no, I'm not going to look that up. That would be goosh.
1: Yeah, it's a, how dare you? How dare you use the Google machine?
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. So wh- here's the thing that bothers me a little bit about this song. Yeah, so that year and Graveyard Shift are both, I think, basically built around big riffs. You know, in Graveyard Shift, it works really well. Um, that year, it works pretty well but they both like like the two the two riffs have the same rhythm i think they're both like bum 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 so it's kind of hard not to feel like you know it's easy to read stories into this but it's hard not to feel like tweety was like well i can come up with a riff too <laughs> <laughs> that would be like,
1: fantastic if it was if it was done just as a as a, a one upsmanship
0: yeah. it's just that's a, a weird thing to me uh, and that I always kind of knew that in my bones, but uh, listening closer, it really came across to me here.
1: Well, so here's here's a, maybe an interesting question. Do you think that one of the reasons that Tweety is so beloved is that because he started at such a low baseline and then improved
0: so much? I think that's, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And it is a cool thing. You know, it's, it's fantastic to listen to this and know like, well, this guy's going to make summer teeth eventually. You know, and 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 then and then the decline will set in. But still, like I don't know. It's it it's a cool thing to be able to watch, you know, have this like very minutely recorded artistic maturation happening.
1: Yeah, and I guess one of the things I like about it is I feel like, you know, it and I mean, it's probably true for both of us, we kinda got a front row seat to that sort of maturation process where yeah. you know, your first First couple times you saw, I mean, I never got to see Uncle Tupelo, but the first few times I saw Wilco or Golden Smog, uh, you know, Tweedy was not was not out there wowing you with his his guitar playing ability or his you know, composition ability. Yeah, uh, but now it's 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 just it's a whole other animal. They sound like a really put together uh, rock outfit.
0: Yeah, and he as an artist you know, he just, he learned how to, well, how to sing, um, how to really craft a song that doesn't sound like a bucket of spare parts put together, um, and how to engage an audience, you know, like, if I think about where he was at and, like, when they were touring for Being There, like, that guy could just own an audience like no one I've ever seen, like, that was, like, as good a stagemanship as I've ever seen, and, uh,
1: I mean, part of it is you're juxtaposing it with a guy who has who has virtually no stage,
0: yeah, like, <laughs>
1: no showmanship.
0: Jay Farrar seems like he wants to go hide behind an amp,
1: but I mean, he's an amazing musician. Oh
0: yeah, he's, no, no shots fired. On
1: he's Jay he's just he's just not. I don't know if it's you know he's so into he he's so into what he's doing or if it's just his personality maybe he's a little more reserved no but well, actually I'm, I'm pretty sure he's more reserved I think
0: that's a safe bet
1: but uh it's just it's a it's just a really interesting i mean I, I don't know how those two guys were in a band together for so long like they just seem so fundamentally opposite
0: well so this is a little far afield but it's the thing that really stuck with me you know when i was trying to do my kind of background research for the whole project, I ended up reading... I think we might have talked about this offline a little bit. I, I read this article about um, Wilco that was written shortly after Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and it uh, it went into, like, the whole, you know... It was kind of a Tweety retrospective article, partly. So I was reading it for that portion, but this thing really stuck with me that um, it had been written after Jay Bennett had been kicked out of Wilco, and they talked, the person that wrote it talked to Bennett, and he said that one of the things he felt about his experience with Tweedy was that uh, he felt like when he had joined Wilco, Jeff Tweedy had a lot to learn from him. And so like they had this good relationship where he was a teacher and Tweedy was absorbing information from him um, and then after Tweedy had learned everything he could learn from Bennett then you know then he had no use for him and that was the point where Bennett got booted out of the band and that sticks with me because like that same arc could apply to Uncle Tupelo um you know I, I don't know that it did but it is pretty interesting that you know you start out with like this giant gap in musical accomplishment and by the end of it Tweedy has Basically, learned everything he can learn from Farrar, and he's done with Farrar. Um, you know, and and th- that makes him sound like this evil person. And I, you know, I, I I don't know that that's a fair thing to assume, but as a dynamic, there seems to be something there. Yeah,
1: that's that's uh, that's interesting because at one point I remember uh, Tweedy doing sort of his country rock purge of Wilco. Yeah, uh, where he you know he effectively what, somehow John Stirrat survived the the purge.
0: The Rasputin of Wilco.
1: That's right. Can't keep a good man down. Who, and I think we've talked about this before. The the interesting thing about John Sturatt is I feel like he's really good at playing bass that sounds like the way Jeff Tweedy would play exactly. Bass. Which yeah. you know, like I don't know, I honestly don't know if it's a conscious thing or not, but uh, I, I guess he's like I really like I really like the way that guy
0: plays bass. <laughs> it's easy to imagine his audition for the band. So Sturatt, what are what are your influences? Well, you
1: <laughs> primarily you, sir you're yeah, my I, primary influence. Great. And Damn. now John Sturatt's going to want to fight me too. <laughs> I'm just I'm going to end up getting I'm going to end up getting beat up by all my rock <laughs> rock heroes.
0: Chad's house is a short drive from the Twin Cities Airport if anyone wants to fly in and beat his ass. Uh oh, um I don't know. So let's talk lyrics. What would you say this song is about?
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, yeah, I I kind of view it as just sort of, of like an airing of grievances.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's about right.
1: Like, you know, like I've seen several better places, several better times. First of all, I really like that line. Um, and, and when you kind of deconstruct it, I, I think it's, it's just sort of like, you know, like the, the stuff that's happened here sucks and, and I'm, I'm I'm unhappy about
0: it. Yeah, yeah. This just sounds like a young man who's mad about a lot of things and doesn't even know how to articulate them. You know, it, it's like the uh, the part that's probably going to get edited out of the audio here, where Freya was walking around just going "yup." She knows she's mad. She doesn't know why.
1: She's... Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's cathartic for both the dog and for for a young Jeff Tweedy.
0: Yeah, you know, like I feel like. I said Ferrara's good at piling words together that have, like, in good individual lines, but don't add up to a ton. I, like, way more so here. Like, I don't know that this adds up to anything, but there are lines that jump out and you're like, hey, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think of our relationship and all these distant times and why I can't see that anymore in your eyes but kind of like we were talking about with the the Bob Mould song like like the way he says anymore the way he rhymes that is really is really interesting.
0: He's good at emoting and 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 would get much better at that. Uh, you know, but that same verse like that first line like the editor in me just grinds my teeth when I see this guy actually recorded I guess it all boils down to it was just a second guess. God damn it. <laughs> like I uh, I hope his high school English teacher found him on the streets of Belleville and just shook their head.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's sort of sometimes you gotta you have to give people a pass for their for their grammar because there's only things that some things that can work. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, and and that actually that has always jumped out at me as a uh, well, both of them. I think that's a a signature Uncle Tupelo move is to. Um, mangle the grammatical rules of the English language just to make a line work. Like, Jay Farrar loves to do that, too. I guess one of my favorite Tweety lines shows up in the bridge here where he's like, I sit and watch it go by, I sit and watch shit go by. Bowie did that same trick, like, a year or two before this on uh, the Tin Machine album, and maybe Tweety was aping that. You know, I mean, maybe not, I don't know.
1: You know, it's I, I wonder if it's just a nineteen-year-old wanting to say, like, "Watch me artistically work shit into this song." <laughs> that's
0: probably it.
1: Or maybe you're as you sit and watch it go by, you get more and more frustrated, and you're like, "Now I'm just watching shit go." Oh, by. Yeah, I,
0: I, I think that's the I think that's the most charitable read, and that's probably what he meant. Yeah, that works. That's that the high school English teacher should have like giving him praise for that then
1: i mean overall i i you know i probably haven't listened to this song in 10 years so it was kind of it was kind of fun to go back and listen to it again and Mm -hmm. with a sort of a fresh set of ears
0: i feel like this one gets lost in the shadow of graveyard shift because graveyard shift is just such a statement and this one is you know it's a perfectly good song but it's not like the statement that graveyard shift is Anything more on that year? I don't think so. All right. Let's take a break and then come back for the third. And we are back for track three, Before I Break. Such a happy tune.
1: Yeah, it's all uh, sunshine and lollipops. I guess I I was, as I was listening to this, I was trying to decide if it's a cautionary tale about alcoholism or sort of like, a, hey, this is our life. We're, you know, we're all about getting drunk and waking up in a ditch.
0: <laughs> I don't know who the original person to say this was, but there's this idea out there that uh, you can't make a truly anti-war movie. Like, take Apocalypse Now. Like, you're trying to make war look bad. You can't help but glorify it. <laughs> I think this is a cautionary tale like that, where, like, they, they might even say they're trying to make like, just getting loaded all the time look bad, but they're glorifying it. I mean, Farrar coming in yelling, like, on oh, liquor, I spend my last dime. That just, that sounds great. That's a great opening line. Sure, the title of the song makes it sound like it's a bad thing, but he sounds like he's pretty into it.
1: Yeah, and in every article you read about that time period of the band, it sounds like like their two passions were music and drinking. Yeah,
0: it's just the amount of booze they put away is just nuts. There was a point... So I, I spent my 20s basically trying to cosplay Uncle Tupelo um, and there was a point in my mid-twenties when I had to just have a talk with myself about like you know you don't have to throw up every Friday night if I look back at Uncle Tupelo's songs and read about just you know the stuff about the band that I would have been reading back then like no wonder I mean, my god
1: Yeah, it's just so weird it's, it's just kind of hard to if it is intended as a cautionary tale it's kind of it's a little disingenuous <laughs> Yeah. That that clearly is not the is not what they're modeling in there.
0: Well, so I mean, like the title of the song is "Before I Break," that sounds pretty bad. Like, oh, I'm I'm in danger of breaking. But the chorus of the song is "Here's to waking up at night." He's toasting it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just you know like
1: "Here's to waking up at night, drunk in a ditch by the side of the road." Isn't isn't a really you know, it's, it's not the happiest. Uh, yeah. I, so, so, I mean, I, this may be kind of a personal question, Keith, but have you ever woke up at night drunk in a ditch by the side of the road? I,
0: you know, even even in my in twenties, I never did that. But okay, I haven't done that. I do know a person who <laughs> woke up in a porta pot on the floor of a porta pot um, at the end of the day of Grand Old Day in oh. St. Paul.
1: <laughs> that's, that's worst case scenario yes. right there. End of the day too. Yeah,
0: that's that's a that that's a moment when you really ask yourself some questions.
1: Yeah, that's uh <laughs> it's kind of like the old turf club where the grand old days they had the Grand Young days. Yeah. They just played uh Neil Young covers and and like the for people that aren't familiar with Twin Cities uh venues, the turf club is an old speakeasy where they have they have bands play, and, and for a time had by far the worst bathrooms in the Twin Cities. It,
0: Terrible. Given the choice between pissing in a bucket and pissing in the old turf club bathrooms. Uh, you see, not this is a very uncle Tupelo conversation. This is, this is we're, we're in that world. They've sucked us in.
1: This is true. Uh, it, so I feel like there's that Dave Chappelle skit where it's like when keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Like, I feel like I spent a lot of my 20s trying to keep it too real. Yeah. And being like, I've, you know, I've got to, I've got to do everything a certain way, which in retrospect was a terrible fucking idea.
0: Uh, This, this is where we got our standards. This (laughs) is the, these are the uh, five and a quarter inch floppies that we loaded our 20s OS.
1: This is true.
0: Uh, Well, I get a kick. You know, I was talking earlier about like the three major lyrical concerns of Uncle Tupelo. And I feel like the first, Two songs in this album really hit hard. The uh, working sucks and living in a small town sucks. And, you know, this song really like just catches up. Nails like drinking. And that's
1: yeah. I mean it. So I mean maybe it's like maybe that's what it is. It's like the you know it's like the dystopian version of is it Lover Boys working for the weekend? <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, I have a. <laughs> This is a derail, but this is on. I think about this honestly once a day. So we're going to park Uncle Tupelo. With Lover Boys, everybody's working for the weekend. Do you parse that as everybody has to work all weekend and it sucks, or it's the week and everybody's working so that they can hang out on the weekend?
1: I think it's, I, I view it as the latter.
0: That makes a lot more sense, but I always parsed it as the first, but it didn't make any sense because they're so cheerful.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're just working for the weekend. You're trying mm-hmm. to get trying to get by. So you know, in Uncle Tupelo parlance, you can get shit canned on cheap beer and wake up in a ditch.
0: So imagine an Uncle Tupelo cover of that. You know, like the big Ferraro's, like,
1: everybody's
0: working for the weekend. I think it'd be
1: fantastic. <laughs> I, I I hope Jay Farrar hears this and incorporates that. I, it,
0: <laughs> the band reunites just to record that.
1: I mean. Even if it's just J. Farrar playing with Loverboy, I would I would go to that too.
0: Hell yeah!
1: Even if he's singing all like entire the entire Loverboy catalog, which of which I know nothing, I I would go.
0: Okay, I think this is a good time to ask another question. I was going to ask you: Which of these two things happened first? You heard J. Farrar's voice, or you saw a picture of J. Farrar?
1: Oh, the voice, for sure.
0: So, when you saw the picture, were you just like, what the hell? So, I mean,
1: I honestly don't think I saw a picture of him until I saw him perform. I mean, I, I think I saw him perform live before I saw a picture Okay. Of
0: him. So, that's even more. Were you just, did you
1: suspect ventriloquism? Yeah, I mean, he just, it does not look like that voice should come out of that body. It seems to,
0: like, violate the laws of physics.
1: It's, uh, I mean, it's amazing. It's really powerful. Oh. He, uh. You know, I mean, he's he didn't make a lot of eye contact with the audience, <laughs> but he, you know, occasionally you'll catch him when he's looking up, and yeah. it's like his it's like his eyes are seeing right through you. Yeah, he's, it's creepy. <laughs> what about you? Did you see a did you see know what he looked like before you heard him? Say?
0: No, and so it was the same. Um, so yeah, you know, Grant, our friend who had who was the one who clued clued me into these guys was he was like, I thought he was fucking with me. You know, he's like. Yeah, man. He, he, I think he was showing me the album art from Anodyne. He's like, that voice came out of this little guy, and I'm like, no, it didn't. It didn't. That can't be.
1: It's it's really a pretty amazing thing. It It, is. It's I don't. When you see people with sort of distinctive voices, like you see Tom Waits, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: Johnny Cash looks like he should sound like Johnny Cash.
1: He does. Yeah, Willie Nelson, like, seems like. Like yep, that fits.
0: Yeah, Jay Farrar. Oh man, not at all. So I was talking earlier about Uncle Tupelo in general and Farrar in particular, being not you know being really into uh, twisting the rules of grammar, you know, just to to make a line work. And I feel like this song, this song has a lot of like weird inversions. Like on liquor, I'll spend my last time. That that sounds like you're in an undergrad. Po- like I love the line. Like I don't want to talk shit about the impact of it but then if you sit back and just look at it in print like that's like someone's writing poetry for their undergrad class um, i mean could
1: you make it it could you, if you said it on liquor i'd spend my last dime to make it like more of a hypothetical
0: i guess but i mean like no one opens up with on liquor i don't <laughs> so this is true you know, i i never say like for gas i'm going <laughs> over to the pump and munch
1: I feel like you should start doing that because <laughs> people will assume that that you, like, learn to speak with a different, a different language other than English and you're <laughs> transposing.
0: I'm from, I'm from Yoda's home planet or something. I don't know. I mean, like, so I, it's easy to nitpick, uh, but this is a pretty great song. It's a few songs, sequentially, it's a few songs away from Factory Belt. But I feel like before I break, sounds like a machine. You know, this thing sounds freya's out there uh doing her jeff tweedy imitation um yeah don't, don't don't you think like this is the
1: yeah i mean in my in my notes uh, this is what i wrote um i wrote this is why you have jay farrar in your band yeah like you just crank up the volume and just let him roll yeah like he just has that this is this is the time where jay farrar just rocks this, this is rock time
0: and he he he
1: delivers the goods. He he certainly does. It, uh, I, you know, I I wonder what uh, I wonder what these songs were like when they first started performing them. Yeah, like how much of a how much craftsmanship do you think has gone into it from song genesis to what you hear on the album?
0: Just with all the stops and starts and the, the timing, like they had, there had to have been. A lot of crafting for that. And also, like, so as much as I've said that Tweedy had a long way to go in these early songs, the one thing he really nails on, like, every song that Farrar sings is the uh, like the high-harmony backup vocal. Like, every time he comes in and does that, it's great. There's a bunch of that here. I think that's
1: one of the things that, that kind of gets lost with Uncle Tuplo is how, how good those two were at harmonizing with yeah. each
0: other you know, like it's an album out, but like on looking for a way out from still feel gone, there's a part where they, they harmonize the looking for, and it just, I, it's just one of the most magical musical things I know of. And like, it's those two voices working together that makes it,
1: which is strange because you wouldn't think you'd be able to harmonize a, a deep voice and kind of a high squeaky voice.
0: That's kind of a music. I, I disagree. Uh, but my disagreement is a recent thing. I, that's just kind of a thing I've learned later on as a musician that like when you're mixing things together, they mix better if there's a big separation like that. So like, um, like if you listen to London calling, what's usually going on is Mick Jones will be playing really high guitar parts. And even if he's playing chords, he's fingering them. So he's only hitting the high strings and you know joe strummer could only play like cowboy chords so he's playing mainly low strings and like that makes the two things their guitar parts mesh really nicely because i've got this high low thing going and actually the two of them with their voices too like it's kind of like uncle tupelo where strummer's voice is low and jones is high and you know high low works a lot better than low low um. Yeah. So
1: I mean, perhaps this is where you pitch your side project of you know like tomboy it's Getty Lee.
0: <laughs> they were born to be together duo. That's uh, you know. Alternately, I think maybe this show would sound better if I like just talked in falsetto <laughs> all the time.
1: I, I feel like you should at least try it. I mean, you owe, you owe it to you owe it to the project to at least at least give that a, give that a shot.
0: Well, I mean.
1: I, I I don't think I can do it. I. You can't do falsetto. My my normal voice sounds. It sounds like someone with a cold. <laughs> so like I. <laughs> it just sounds stupid if I try to do it. Do it higher.
0: I gotta say, your voice. Um, it, it looks more natural to you than Jay Farrar <laughs> So I'm
1: twice his size.
0: <laughs> if you talk enough shit about him over the por- over the course of the show that make him in handy being twice his size yeah he... I,
1: I want no part of that I the, the fury that's wrapped up on that man <laughs> just based on just based on his guitar playing and his songwriting is is not something that I want to contend with
0: fair enough I don't know I feel like I'm out of stuff on before I break you got anything
1: no I mean i I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what we come up with for the next the next three because there's some There's some interesting uh, material to mine.
0: Yeah, the next stretch is going to be pretty wild, um, which is good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, and on that note, uh, thanks for listening. This has been We've Been Had, a song-by-song walk through Uncle Tupelo. Uh, I'm Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter at at Keith Pilly. That's K-E-A-T-H-P-I-L-L-E. I'm with... Uh, Chuck Cook. And are you on Twitter, Chad? (laughs) I am on Twitter. Do you you care for the people to find you?
1: Yes, my uh, Twitter handle is at Cook6252.
0: If you dug the show, I would love it if you would tell as many people about it as you could. Um, You know, set up a nice person-to-person chain like the one I've got back to St. Louis. Um, Yeah, it's like the
1: old postcard.
0: Exactly. You send
1: us blank tapes and...
0: If postcard is still a thing and someone out there could post to postcard that the show exists, God, that would make me happy. Are Um, you kidding? Do
1: you know how much hate mail we would get (laughs) from people that are still on postcard?
0: (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Do not post this to postcard. Instead, go to iTunes. Leave a review. uh, It'll help people find the show. Uh, Thanks very much. We will be back again pretty soon to talk about the next few albums. Um, In the meantime... Keep on, keepin' on.